Hello and welcome to Conspiracy Theories Football. I'm your host, Josh McDaniel. And this week, we're doing a great one. One that I looked up a lot of information on, and I'd heard that people thought this game was rigged and fixed, even a player saying so. It got me excited. But when I looked it up, I found so much information around this that adds so much smoke to this fire. So I really was looking forward to doing this particular subject on my podcast. So I hope you guys enjoy it. I've really enjoyed doing this, but there's so much involved in this Super Bowl. Most people remember this Super Bowl as the guarantee. Joe Namath, although a 19 and a half point underdog, makes the prediction that his Jets would not only cover this spread, but actually be world champions and beat the Baltimore Colts in Super Bowl III. And it happened, which left a lot of people scratching their heads because most people believed that this was the impossible. A 19.5-point spread is a ridiculous number to overcome. Almost three touchdowns. Obviously, Baltimore was thought to be the better team. Now, there are five different accusations that I looked up and I found that many conspiracy theories feel like prove that this game was rigged or fixed in some way, shape, or form. I've put these down and I did some research on them and I think you're going to find out some things you probably didn't know because I certainly did and it fascinated me. But the first thing we'll talk about is the owner of the Baltimore Colts, Carol Rosenblum. His own player, Bubba Smith, said that his owner bet $1 million on the Jets to win that game, betting against his own team. And that he believes, and this is the second thing, that Earl Morale, the quarterback, was on the take. He took money from Rosenblum to throw that game. The third thing is Joe Namath. Many people feel like Joe Namath knew, and therefore the guarantee. And we'll talk about that and why some people believe that Joe Namath actually knew beforehand that they were going to win, and so he made that guarantee. The fourth thing we'll talk about is how the AFL-NFL merger may have played a part in this possible rigging. The Jets needed to win this game for the NFL? The fifth point is that deals were made for Don Shula, Carol Rosenblum, and Lamar Hunt in order for the NFL to get this merger that the NFL wanted. So we'll start right into these because there's a lot of information in all of this and I would like to get all this stuff uh, to where, you know, we get it all out there and I'm not rambling too much like I am right now. So... We'll go ahead and get started on Rosenblum. Bubba Smith, his defensive player, is the one that believes that he bet $1 million against his team. Now, is this something that was unheard of at the time? When I started this, I actually thought it was, but it was absolutely not unheard of. In fact, Keller Rosenblum was accused of this more than once in 1953. He was accused of betting $55,000 on the other team, against his Colts. Five years later, he was absolved of all charges by the investigating organization, the NFL. 
It's funny that in the end, when all of these kind of things come up, that it's the NFL that does the investigations. And, of course, it always comes out that there's no merit to any of these accusations. So, yes, in 1953, he was accused of betting 55000 on the other team. But this wasn't the end. There was also another time that he was accused, and this time, of shaving points, paying Johnny Unitas to actually cover a point spread. And it was a very famous game. It was in 1958. It's known as Gray Day. And they played the New York Giants in what some people say was one of the best games ever. But the interesting thing was they got down to the one-yard line, and on second down, they threw a pass in sudden death. And at the one-yard line, they could have just kicked the field goal and won the game 20-17. to But instead, Johnny Unitas throws a pass and tries to get a touchdown. And then on third down, they hand the ball off again, trying to score, and they get the touchdown on that try. This way, they won the game 23-17, covering the five-point spread that the Colts had on the New York Giants. Now, this was questionable by its own right. I mean, most people... If you watch the NFL, know that once they get down within a chance to kick a, a, a field goal, a game-winning field goal in sudden death, most teams just throw the field goal kicker out, kick the field goal, win the game. But for some reason, they kept Unitas out there. And if you watch the Patriots-Seahawks Super Bowl, the one that ended on an interception, you can understand why it's kind of dangerous to play that game. So these are two times that Rosenblum was accused long before Super Bowl III of actually affecting games gambling. It's interesting. I'd never realized that these accusations were out there. And in fact, they're kind of hard to find, too. Uh, They're actually in an article. They're actually in a Washington Post article about the $55,000 bet as well as in Wikipedia. So they're out there. It's just hard to find. And you've got to go through a lot of stuff to find these things. But it's so funny that the thought of Carol Rosenblum betting money was unbelievable, like it had never been heard of before, that there was no chance that this could have happened. But now looking back, you realize that these kind of things had happened before, at least the accusations had. Very interesting looking back on Rosenblum's history, but it doesn't end there. When he was actually cleared in 1958 of betting against his team, he actually admitted to betting on college football games, even talking about different things and different ways that he would bet on football games. So this man obviously did a lot of gambling. So it kind of adds a little bit of smoke to this supposed fire. This doesn't end with Rosenblum. Even his death raised a lot of questions and also were the subject of conspiracy theories. He drowned in Palm Beach, Florida. Many people believe it was actually said to be an accident that he was swimming by himself and drowned, whereas many people believe that isn't true. Even his own son was questioning the fact and even brought out that his father never would swim alone because he wasn't a very good swimmer, and unless he decided to do something completely out of his character, he didn't believe that this happened either. That there was very questionable. So conspiracy theorists 
went on the gambling train that maybe, you know, he owed money. The mafia or mob or whatever took him out because he owed money. Now, in my opinion, and I'm not even going to say professional opinion because it's not, but to me, I could see how this might be a completely different situation. In fact, the opposite, that maybe they might have found out that this man was making a lot of money, taking their money, and he was the one controlling the outcome. Therefore, he couldn't lose his bets. You know, at this point, he was the owner of the Rams, and maybe this kind of stuff had continued on. Who knows? That's just my conspiracy theory on that. Now, the next idea that conspiracy theorists have, or I shouldn't even say conspiracy theorists, but this is actually the accusation made by Bubba Smith himself on his own quarterback in that game, that Earl Morale was on the take for this game. And as I did some research on this, there's a little smoke to this fire as well. Now, a lot of people don't realize that Earl Morale was the quarterback of the Baltimore Colts in this game. At the time, Johnny Unitas was hurt and actually did come in in the fourth quarter to score the only touchdown that the Colts scored in their 16-7 loss to the New York Jets. Interestingly enough, a lot of people may think, well, because this guy was a backup quarterback and maybe he wasn't that good and that's the reason why everything happened the way it did, he was an all-star in his own right. He had a wonderful season that season. Earl Morale was no schlub quarterback. But yet, five times, the Colts ended up in the red zone, in the scoring zone, but they produced no points. Now, if you take five times and consider that they could have kicked field goals in each of those possessions, that makes 15 points. They lost 16-7, to so you can do the math. But it was interesting, he threw three interceptions in this game. One play that was a flea flicker is one that you can find on NFL Films because it's a famous play. There was a wide receiver wide open on the play, Jimmy Orr. And many people have seen this play and know what play I'm talking about. But instead, he throws to a fullback down the field who's double covered, and he throws an interception. Now, Jimmy Orr was so wide open that he's waving his hands, practically dancing, trying to get Earl Morale's attention. Now, this wouldn't seem strange until Bubba Smith got on an appearance on television and mentioned the fact that Jimmy Orr was the intended receiver on the play. Why on earth he never looked at his receiver, but instead of the fullback down the field, aroused suspicion to Bubba Smith. And one of the reasons why he believed Earl Morale was on the tape. And this is the biggest reason why we have this on here is Earl Morale's performance seemed to point to the fact that maybe he was the checker piece or the chess piece that Carol Rosenblum used in order to throw this game. Bubba Smith certainly thought so. Now the third accusation is that Joe Namath made his guarantee that the Jets would beat the Colts because he knew what the outcome was going to be. He knew that the Colts had to lose that Super Bowl. Joe Namath won MVP of that game without throwing a touchdown. And if you look at the numbers, not that impressive. But the running back, who was named Matt Snell, 
Everyone felt like deserved to be the MVP of that game. Obviously, just because of Joe Namath's boisterousness and guarantee, he got the MVP of that game. Another questionable thing about Joe Namath is that he himself is tied to gambling. He was part owner of a casino. In fact, the NFL made him sell his shares in that casino because they felt like it wasn't a good look for a football player to actually have part ownership in a casino where bets could be made for or against the team he's playing for. Once again, a little bit of smoke even to that. Now we'll go to number four, which is fascinating to me. The AFL-NFL merger. I looked a lot of information up about this merger. There was a lot to it. I did not realize that the NFL was the one who wanted this merger, not the AFL. And when you look in to what was going on at the time, the AFL had Commissioner Al Davis running things, and Al Davis did not want a merger. Al Davis wanted to sink the NFL. He wanted to make the AFL the main football entertainment, and he was doing a damn good job of it. He had gotten a $36 million contract with NBC to actually televise their games. There was a gentleman's agreement at one point about not leeching players from the other league or trying to offer more money to someone from another league. In his mind, the NFL broke that when they ended up giving money to a punter that was on their side that moved over, and from that point on, he decided that it was on. So it became a thing that the AFL would offer money to NFL players, NFL to AFL players, and it, it started, a, started a spiral. And the bad thing about this for the NFL is the AFL owners had the money. As far as AFL versus NFL owners, the AFL owners had more money than the NFL owners. It was a game they could play and possibly win. I don't think it's a reach to say that the NFL itself was a little threatened by the AFL. And obviously so, because they were the ones to reach out and want to start this merger with the AFL. In fact, it was the Dallas Cowboys owner, Tex Scram, that started meetings with Lamar Hunt. Buddies, uh, you know, they both had ties in Texas, and, you know, Lamar Hunt's uh, family had Texas oil money. So they were good friends. They had connections, and then this started the AFL-NFL merger. And it was behind Al Davis's back. Al Davis was still trying to sink the NFL while they're trying to work a merger out. This is thought to be one of the reasons for the Colts having to lose Super Bowl III. Now, why would you think that? Well, part of the contract was that the AFL had to show itself to be competitive with the NFL. And that was important for the merger to happen. If the AFL couldn't prove that its teams could compete with the NFL, then the merger wasn't going to happen. And what better way to prove that you can hang with the other conference or league than winning the Super Bowl? And so it happened. Even though 19.5-point underdogs, the AFL, won the Super Bowl in Super Bowl Three. And then Super Bowl Four, 
same thing happened again. Interestingly enough, the team that won, Lamar Hunt's Kansas City Chiefs. The other AFL owner who was in the talks of the merger, the main one, that was in talks of the merger of the AFL-NFL. And this heads into the next conspiracy theory or thought that people had that deals were made for Don Shula, Carol Rosenblum, and Lamar Hunt in order for the merger to go through. There was a deal made for each one of these. Obviously, so many people make a big deal about when games are fixed and thrown. Why would certain players allow this to happen? Why would they do that? It would affect their legacy. Why would Carol Rosenblum, as an owner of a team, give up a Super Bowl? Why would Don Shula, as a coach, give up a Super Bowl? The answer could very well be that deals might have been made to make it to where it was worth it to them. And so... That's one of the actual conspiracy theories that is out there, and there's some smoke to that because Super Bowl five, Rosenblum gets a Super Bowl. His Baltimore Colts win the Super Bowl at a party after their loss to the New York Jets, which Bubba Smith found to be disturbing because it was supposed to be a winner's party, but even after they lost, the party was held anyway, and his owner was up dancing and having fun, you know, like he just won a huge sum of money, like betting a million dollars on a Super Bowl. And so he was disturbed and disgusted at it and said something to Rosenblum. And Rosenblum, trying to comfort him, told him, hey, we're going to get there again and we're going to win it. He was right. They did get back. They did win it. Did he know something at that point? It certainly isn't ridiculous to think so. As a side point, the idea that this million dollars was bet on the Jets winning the game, some people point to the fact that the point spread changed by quite a bit before the game started. People believe that this could have been the actual result of someone betting, say, a million dollars on the Jets. So there's a little bit of extra smoke to add to that particular fire as well. Now back to some of the deals that may have been made because many people point to the thought that certain people seem to get repayment for actually losing that Super Bowl. For instance, Don Shula is another one that after Super Bowl V, who wins the next Super Bowl? That's right. It was Don Shula who wins Super Bowl VI. In fact, his 72 Dolphins are the only team in NFL history to go undefeated and win their Super Bowl. And then Super Bowl Seven, Don Shula's Dolphins win again. If there was a deal made, I think he came out on the better end of that deal if he got two Super Bowls in replace of the one. Now, Super Bowl Three was just during the time that these talks were starting between Lamar Hunt and Tex Scram. And so this time, it seemed important just for the talks to continue that Super Bowl Three went the way that it did. Now, Super Bowl Four, on the other hand, comes along. And to me, I wonder if that was just a deal between Scram and Hunt that had to be honored because in Super Bowl Four. The Kansas City Chiefs win the Super Bowl. Lamar hunts Kansas City Chiefs. 
So a lot of these conspiracy theories that are out there seem to have a lot of smoke behind them. These aren't just ridiculous theories, but there's a lot of things out there that point to the fact that maybe Super Bowl III had to go the way that it did. And there were those that actually could have profited very much so by the Colts losing that Super Bowl, even those that were part of that Super Bowl team. Now, the players themselves, were they aware? Well, according to Bubba Smith, he believes that the quarterback, Earl Morale, was on the take. And given some of the stuff that happened in the game, you know, I believe there's enough proof to say that he did. But obviously, that's just my opinion on things. But were the other players in on it? Uh, Possibly there may have been, but maybe not. I mean, how many do you need? I mean, if you're going to do something shady like this, I would imagine you keep it to as few of people as you possibly can. Because there are some that absolutely didn't know about it. Because Jimmy Orr, if he'd have known about it, certainly wouldn't have been dancing and flinging up his arms trying to get a wide open pass. Obviously, Bubba Smith, it bothered him to the day he died losing that Super Bowl. And he knew something was wrong about it. There were other players that said that if they played that Super Bowl a hundred times over again, that the Colts would win it all 100 times. They knew they were the better team, and this wasn't just being cocky and arrogant. Everybody knew they were the better team, hence 19.5-point favorites. So, obviously, they kept it to a minimum. If there was a rigging that went on, they would have kept it as a small amount of people knowing about it. I don't think the owners themselves or the coaches gave much care about these players losing out on a Super Bowl, but as far as they themselves, they would want... They would want repayment for having to give it up. And it seems to me like there is enough stuff there to say that if they did have to give up that Super Bowl, and if the other things were a repayment, they definitely got their money's worth. I mean, for Rosenblum, if he'd have made a million dollars on a million dollar bet on a 19 and a half point underdog, I think he made a pretty huge chunk of change. And then he gets to turn around and still win a Super Bowl in Super Bowl V. So I think he came out pretty good. And then Don Shula has to give up one Super Bowl, but in return gets an undefeated Super Bowl champion in Super Bowl VI. And then another Super Bowl championship in Super Bowl VII. So maybe he traded one Super Bowl in for two, which looks to me like he turned a good deal on that. And the idea about Lamar Hunt winning the Super Bowl sounds like a very possible outcome if he's the one negotiating them this merger that was to happen. And he knows that the NFL not only wants this merger, but needs this merger. As I was looking back, I saw Al Davis did a lot of damage. He was really able to make the AFL not only a viable opponent for the NFL, but actually one that was almost ready to overtake the NFL. So I believe Lamar Hunt held all the cards in this deal and in this negotiation. And could he have said that my Kansas City Chiefs win the Super Bowl, the very next Super Bowl? I mean, that could have been in his cards. He could have done that. And it seems like maybe that could have happened because they... 
in Super Bowl Four were not the favorites in that Super Bowl either, but the underdog. Maybe some deals were made. There's enough smoke to all of these stories to make you think that there likely was a fire to this whole deal about the AFL-NFL merger and Super Bowl Three, Super Bowl Four, and all of these ones actually being programmed, technically, if you want to look at it that way. While it seems preposterous, it also seems like with enough smoke that this very well could have been the situation. But anyway, forgive me for rambling. Uh, I tried to get all of the interesting stuff out of there before I started my rambling bit. Once again, this fascinated me. I really had fun looking this stuff up, and it really convinced me that there might have been a rigging involved in Super Bowl three, four, five, six. You know, it makes sense to me. Now, once again, I love a good conspiracy theory. Everyone has to remember, and for me to cover my own rear end on this, that this is just my opinion. I looked up some of the stuff with the idea that maybe the thing was rigged, so I went into it already hoping and thinking that the NFL rigged this game, and as I looked up the information, it gave me enough stuff to get excited about it. And remember, this is for entertainment purposes only, just like the NFL. So don't take this to mean that I am 100% correct, that I know all the facts, because I don't. One thing about conspiracy theories is we never have all the facts. We weren't in at the table. We weren't in on the meetings. Just like with anyone else, we look from the outside looking in, and when things look suspicious, we see them. We see that they look suspicious. We try to make out what happened, and I have a very imaginative mind. So I put all these little dots together, and this is the picture that I came out with. So for me, the picture went like this. The NFL decided that the Baltimore Colts needed to lose this game because the AFL needed to prove that it could be competitive with the NFL. Therefore, the AFL had to win. They had to tell the owners, and the coaches had to be aware. So these things went down, and obviously Joe Namath, if this story is true in my mind, Joe Namath had to know, so he puts out his guarantee. Don Shula and Rosenblum decide to make the best of the situation and say, hey, you know, if we got to do this. We got to get something in return. And Rosenblum, being a big gambler, decides, hey, the outcome of this game is already decided. Might as well make a little profit off of this. And then you have the AFL-NFL merger and the talks that go into that. Lamar Hunt being the main principal person of the AFL, making negotiations with the NFL and maybe... In my mind, he takes Super Bowl four for himself so that he gets a little something out of it. And then you have Shula. He gets two Super Bowls to reward him for throwing a Super Bowl. And Rosenblum gets a Super Bowl to make up for his Super Bowl and a little pocket money for all of his troubles. So in the end, this is where I stand on the conspiracy. And this is where my imaginative mind has led me to. Well, thank you very much for listening. I hope you guys enjoyed this as much as I enjoyed doing it. I appreciate you guys listening. Please hit subscribe, like, tell your friends about this podcast. I would like for more and more people to get to listen to it. Uh, It's a little greedy of me, maybe, but 
I enjoy it, and I, I hope other people get a chance to listen to it. And it's really hard to find my podcast. Even when I'm looking for it, I have to search pretty hard just to find my own podcast. So give me some help out there if you don't mind. Now, next month I plan on putting out another podcast, or I should say another episode to this podcast, that's going to be interesting where I talk about the NFL's dirty secret, and that's basically stolen from a Sports Illustrated article, but where it talks about the NFL and its origins, the people that started the NFL, who they were connected with, and why that raises suspicion about the authenticity of the NFL games. I think you'll enjoy it. There's some names of infamous characters that are associated with the NFL that you actually did not know were associated with the NFL. So tune in next month. Thank you for listening. Enjoy your month. I'll do it better next time.